The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of True Crime Society Podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It is December 8th right now, so like I said last time, still still in the mix of the holiday season. I've been trying to order my gifts, get my, my shit together, but it's exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's been such a crazy week. I'm pretty sure it's a full moon, too. That might explain why everyone's been a bit crazy and chaotic but yeah it's been a lot this week hasn't it yeah we were both just saying before we recorded that today has been a whirlwind and your day only <laughs> just started so it's only 9 30 a.m here so like oh, it's a long dramatic story I guess that's what happens when you live with girls but it's they have a my kids have like this annual talent quest at school that they do at the end of the school year because our school year is like January to December so this is the end of their school year the talent quest today my little one had a meltdown this morning because she couldn't find the right black shirt to wear and I'm just not ready (laughs) 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 she's been practicing they're doing a dance group dance they like they have to lift her up in the dance and stuff so she's very very stressed and nervous and I hope she goes all right (laughs) but it's been a lot (laughs) Do you get to see it or just like no, the school? No, which I actually think is good because like the school usually invites parents to most things, but this is like a kid-only talent quest, so I guess it's a lot less nerve-wracking for them and, you know, they're not as intimidated maybe by a whole bunch of parents there. So um, yeah. they don't even – they don't record it or anything, so we never get to see it, but – yeah. Um, yeah, I knew my cute. my limits as a kid. I, I never did shit like that because I knew I'd be way too scared. <laughs> oh my gosh, she did she did her own like solo dance, and then they kind of politely suggested that maybe she, they might want to do a group dance, which I guess that means that more kids get a turn, which yeah. I totally get. But so anyway, she still gets her own little solo part, which she likes. She likes a bit of attention. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope I hope it goes well for her. Yes, I'll report back next week. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Except not really. No, uh, we're recording next week. Yeah. yeah, we're recording next week, yeah. Um, This weekend, since it's – the holidays and everything. Um, this weekend I'm going to like I don't know if you do this in Australia, but we have like a big light thing that like you it's at an orchard basically, but they put up big light displays and stuff, kind of like um the blaze. I don't know if you've seen pictures from where they do all the pumpkins like crazy and like big big castles and dragons, but this is with like Christmas lights. So I'm going to that on Saturday. I've never been to one before, but mm. I guess you like can walk through and it's like a mile and a half long and there's little bars set up so you could get a drink along the way. Sounds cool. They have a thing here, but it's usually, well, I guess it's in winter, which for us is like June, July. It's called Vivid. And what they do is around Sydney, they light up like all the buildings with really cool, like the same type of thing, light displays and light shows and stuff like that. Mm. But we don't really have anything Christmassy, I don't think, along those lines. I feel like it's a newer thing because maybe in the last couple of years, I know it was around, but not when I was little. Like We didn't ever go to anything like that, but we would go to like the city obviously I could go to and they light up all the buildings there and they have the big tree but it's such a nightmare to go to the city this time of year (laughs) oh my gosh I know going anywhere this time of year is crazy I know even the grocery store like (sighs) I said in in our ad read (laughs) even um this is so like well not really it's kind of on topic but a few a little while ago I did an online grocery store order 
when I went to pick it up, it was all wrong. And like they gave me one bag of groceries that weren't even my groceries. And then they wouldn't give me my money back. I had to like. (laughs) So this weekend I was thinking about doing another one. I'm like, is it really worth the hassle or should I just suck it up and go to the store? (laughs) I like doing the pickup, but I feel like they never pick out good stuff like if you want to order fruits or anything so then I'm like I might as well just go myself and I kind of like to look around a little but this time of year it's just awful I usually love grocery shopping but yeah just this time of year I'm like I cannot deal but I don't really (laughs) understand why like I guess because I go to Walmart a lot and you could buy other stuff there but I'm like like why are we going to the grocery store in droves on like December 8th (laughs) like what (laughs) I guess maybe because like usually people think I'll go and do my – like where I shop anyway, it's like in a big mall. So there's a few supermarkets and all the other shops as well. But I guess people think I'll go and do my Christmas shopping, then I'll get my groceries. So it's just uh, more people in general everywhere. Yeah. Me, if I go to just the regular grocery store, it won't be as bad as Walmart. Yeah. Um, Do you decorate your house a lot for Christmas? Kind of. Like we've got Christmas lights out outside. We've got um like a big plastic Santa. Mm. <laughs> but other than that, we don't re- – where we live, no one sees it. Like we're down the end of a road that no one would come down unless, you you know, you, you live down here. So yeah. we don't really – we go and like – we often go for a drive and have a look at everyone else's amazing lights, but we don't go all out. Yeah, when I, when I was little, we used to go – crazy with decorating our house with like my parents and we would outline our house with all the lights and we'd get the light up deer and the santa sleigh we'd even put them on the roof we had so many lights when i was little it was crazy (laughs) i still try to decorate but i live in an apartment building now so i can't really decorate outside or anything but you could decorate around the window or have whatever windows you've got to the outside yeah i've got my tree i've got some like um Fake candles that look like real candles that like flicker lights. Um, and I've got s- some little Santas around, so I'm in the spirit. Donnie's barking right on time. <laughs> I'm going to leave him in. <laughs> Peep actually isn't even in here. She actually just strolled in. She's late. Um, so this is going to be our – is this our second to last? Yeah. So this is our second to last episode of the year. And actually, I think our last episode will be our 100th episode, which is exciting. Mm, Can't believe it. This will be 99, I guess. Yeah. So we won't have an episode the week after Christmas, just as a warning. So prepare (laughs) yourselves now. I gave you plenty of warning. (laughs) Download all the old ones if you haven't heard, and that will get you through the week. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. Um... This episode, we are going to talk about Lucy Letby, who um, a lot of people had been asking us about this case. She was a nurse who murdered a lot of babies and got caught in, it was in Britain? Britain, yeah. I guess we should say allegedly because she's on trial at the moment, so. Okay, allegedly um, murdered a bunch of babies. Yeah. So it's like it's just this is one that's I feel like, you know, it's just such a wild story and I feel like it hasn't got very much media attention. Maybe it's getting way more in Britain. I assume it probably is. But this is almost an unbelievable story. I I just can't believe. I feel like if she didn't do it as much as she did, she probably wouldn't have gotten caught. And at one stage, she was attempting to murder these babies almost every single day, like every day, not even just one a year or, you know, whatever. Every single day for a period of time, she was pretty much attempting to kill these children. Yeah, and this happened in 
most of it happened in 2015. So it's been going on for a, a long time, like the arrests, the trial, everything. It's still going on currently. Yeah, the trial is apparently going to run for six months. So they're at the ninth right. week. So they've still got a very long way to go. When things are that long, I'm like, what do they talk about the whole time? <laughs> and like, I, I, I just like, I feel like two people might be like, why did you cover it now when the trial's still ongoing? Because there's actually so much to talk about now. And we can, we, what we're going to talk about today is what they're actually running through in the trial now. So obviously, they'll go through it in the trial in more detail than we could ever. But it's just like the basis of the story is there now. It's probably a tough trial to go through as a juror, besides the fact that it's about babies being killed there's probably a lot of like medical terminology and stuff yeah. that has to be explained so that could be why it takes so long i guess yeah i think so and i guess let this serve as a trigger warning we are going to be talking about babies who are murdered it's not overly graphic i'd say but it is upsetting Trigger, yeah. i can say it would be triggering for some people yeah so just let that be your warning um if you feel like that will upset you could maybe skip this episode but the choice is yours lucy letby once posed for photos in her uniform telling her local paper in 2013 that she enjoyed nursing babies as she could see them progress and support their families now she's suspected of murdering eight infants and trying to kill another 10 the 30-year-old worked in the neonatal unit at the Countess of Chester Hospital. In 2017, the hospital called in the police, having become aware of a greater-than-usual number of baby deaths and babies at risk of dying between June 2015 and June 2016. Lucy Letby was first arrested in July 2018. Her home nearby was sealed off and forensic officers searched the house and garden. The nurse was arrested again a year later and then yesterday she was arrested for a third time. Cheshire Police said they made the arrest based on further information that has been gathered as part of their ongoing investigation. Tonight, Lucy Letby is being held in custody and will appear before magistrates in Warrington tomorrow. Lucy Letby, she was a British nurse who is currently on trial for murdering seven babies that were under her care. She was born on January 4th, 1990, and we can't find too much about her early life, but we do know that her parents are Susan and John Leppy. She attended comprehensive school in Hereford before enrolling at University of Chester to study nursing. Um, she graduated in 2011 and got a job as a neonatal nurse at the Countess of Chester Hospital. The hospital seems pretty big. It currently has 625 beds, has general medical departments, and a 24-hour accident and emergency unit. Lucy worked in, also worked in their neonatal unit as a student nurse during her three years of training. Lucy, she she's blonde. She's conventionally attractive. So she was kind of used as a poster child for the neonatal unit and the hospital as a whole. She is in a lot of their marketing campaigns and kind of like, you know, when you go to a hospital and you see what looks like stock photos on the wall of people, nurses pretending it's like a candid photo, but it's obviously a post photo. So she was in a lot of those. Yeah, it's um, yeah, that's that's right. Like even I posted a photo of her on our Instagram today, and someone sent us a message saying she looks so innocent. Like she really does. She kind of has a baby face. Yeah, she looks kind of petite, and you know, I, like I don't know if there's a look that you would assume someone who would do this would have, but I feel like she's just kind she of. She does a, not have the look. No, <laughs> she's just kind of like an attractive, kind of plain, nondescript, like just uh, yeah. You would someone who you would see as a nurse, you'd be like, oh yeah, yep, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like like I don't even know how to explain it, but yeah, she's she just looks 
normal, essentially. I'll put a picture of her for the the podcast so you can see it on your phones right now and you'll know what we mean. (laughs) Um, So where are we? February 2012, Lucy appeared in a photo holding a baby as part of a story on the on a resident who had donated money to the hospital. On March 28th, 2013, she was the subject of a short interview about her job in which she stated that her role at the hospital involves caring for a wide range of babies requiring various levels of support and that she enjoys seeing them progress and supporting their families. She also revealed that she had recently completed a placement at Liverpool Women's Hospital. In 2013, Lucy was part of a campaign to raise three million pounds in three years to create a new neonatal unit for the hospital, which she hoped would provide a greater degree of privacy and space for parents and siblings there's kind of like a well-known photo of lucy where she's obviously at work looks like she's got some blue scrubs on and she's holding like a tiny little baby onesie like you know like oh how sweet and cute Mm -hmm. and everything so that is a photo that's been used a lot in kind of the articles about this case yeah in July 2016, the neonatal intensive care unit at the Countess of Chesper Hospital stopped accepting premature infants born before 32 weeks, partially due to an unexplained high mortality rate in 2015 and 2016. Instead, they diverted them to other hospitals in the northwest of England, such as Alder Hay. A series of investigations was initiated to ascertain the reasons for the sharp rise in mortalities, with an independent review being carried out by the Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health in the Royal College of Nursing. The report did find that some staff levels were inadequate, but determined they were unable to determine a single cause or causes for the high mortality rate. They determined they were unable to determine. (laughs) In 2017, the Foundation Trust brought in police to assist with the ongoing review, saying this was to seek assurance, assurances that enable us to rule out unnatural causes of death. The deaths of 17 babies at the hospital were investigated by police, as well as 15 non-fatal incidents at the neonatal unit between March 2015 and July 2016. So if you think about it, that's 32 incidences in just over a year. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. Like, hello. Yeah. On July 3rd, 2018, Lucy Lepi was arrested on suspicion of eight counts of suspected murder and six counts of attempted murder. A neighbor of the Lepi family said, I saw lots of police cars arrive, a few cars, then a big police van, and gradually more and more, and they put up a tent. I wonder what the tent was for. They always do that. Like, I don't know. I feel like they do that a lot in the UK. Um, I don't know if it's like a privacy thing. I know sometimes obviously they do dig up like yards or whatever, so I don't know. Yeah, it's the only thing I could think of, but this doesn't seem like a dig up yard situation. No, I feel like a lot of the times it's just like a privacy thing. So they And I've like, I know I'm generalizing too, but when I lived in the UK, the houses are quite small. Like a lot of them are kind of attached houses. So maybe by mm-hmm. putting up a tent, it just gives them another space to like process evidence and things like that as well. Yeah. Detective Inspector Hughes said at the time, Quote, this is a highly complex and very sensitive investigation, and as you can appreciate, we need to ensure we do everything we possibly can to try to establish in detail what has led to these baby deaths and collapses. As a result of our ongoing inquiries, we have today arrested a healthcare professional in connection with the investigation. She was arrested earlier this morning on suspicion of murder in relation to eight of the babies and attempted murder in relation to six of the babies and is currently in custody. Whilst this is a significant step forward in our inquiries, it is important to remember that the investigation is very much active and ongoing at this stage. 
So Lucy was bailed out on July 6, 2018, and the investigation dragged on and Lucy was arrested twice more. Firstly, on June 10, 2019, where she was arrested in connection with eight alleged murders and nine alleged attempted murders of babies. It's kind of interesting. I'm not entirely sure how the legal process works there because even though she was bailed out, I guess maybe they um, revised the charges and then kind of recharged her with these different things because it goes back and forth, which I know you're getting to in a minute, but it's just unusual to me that there's kind of this revision of the charges over the years as she was kind of bailed out and recharged and things like that. Yeah, I thought it was confusing too because at first I was like, oh, they're adding on more. But then in the end, it's not like she has 30 murder charges. It's like the same ones, just Well, it's different. actually one less murder charge um, because yeah. she ends up getting charged with seven. Anyway, but yeah, like I feel like maybe that just as, as the case went on, they decided they maybe had enough evidence for these final charges and just went with that. Yeah. Detective Hughes said, I like to reassure people that we are doing everything we can as quickly as we can to identify what has led to these babies' deaths and collapses. Due to the nature of this investigation, it's extremely challenging, but it's important to remember that it is very much active and ongoing. There are no set timescales, and we remain committed to carrying out a thorough investigation as soon as possible. We fully appreciate that it continues to have a big impact on all those involved, including families of the babies, staff, and patients at the hospital, as well as members of the public. So she was rearrested again then on November 10th, 2020. Um, so on the 11th of November, Lucy was charged with eight counts of murder and 10 counts of attempted murder now. And at this point, she was denied bail after the final rearrest. Um, so when she was taken from the courtroom, Lucy looked up at her parents and mouthed, I love you, as she was taken to her jail cell and she also made a heart sign with her hands. Her trial began on October 10th, 2022, and she pled not guilty to seven counts of murder and 15 counts of attempted murder related to 10 babies. So I think that's what when what we were just talking about. So in the end, her final kind of actual charges were seven counts of murder and then the 15 counts of attempted murder. Yeah. Lucy's alleged victims have not been named in court documents and they're referred to as child A through child Q. So before we get deep into the trial information, we found a good timeline of the deaths and injuries of the babies on Reddit. So we're going to um, run through that briefly. I wouldn't say it's confusing, but... I feel like it's confusing because there are no names. Like it's hard to keep the babies A, you know, B and all that straight. Um, it is a chronological timeline. but Medical yeah, terminology. I, it is confusing, but I think like the timeline is good because they've kind of split it up into each. Like there's a few multiple births, like twins and triplets and things like that, but they've kind of grouped them by case, which I guess is the easiest way to run through it. Yeah, so I'll try to go through it as best as possible. Okay, so the first children involved are twins. Baby A is a boy and baby B is a girl. And on June 8th to 9th, 2015, so it's an overnight shift. That's why it's 8 slash 9. Lucy was assigned to the male child, baby A. At 8.30 p.m., baby A crashes. Reports say his skin appeared mottled. 8.50 p.m., baby A dies. Prosecutors have alleged that air was injected into the baby's umbilical line. And at 9 a.m. on June 9th, Lucy conducted a Facebook search for the twins' parents. Lucy was on night shift again on June 9th slash 10th, 2015, and she was assigned two babies in room three. So baby B was in room one with a different nurse. So baby so B the, is the sibling. The surviving baby twin. A. Yeah. Around 11.30 p.m., baby B was found with CPAP prongs dislodged and oxygen was at 75%. Prongs replaced and condition improved. 
At 12.05 a.m., Lucy co-signed the feeding record for baby B. So it's like evidence that she was around baby B. At 12.16, Lucy drew blood gases from baby B. At 12.30, baby B suddenly desats to 50%. Skin was modeled. Resuscitation began and the baby was placed on a ventilator. 12.51, Lucy drew blood gases. At 1 a.m., she recorded her observations for baby B. At 2.40 a.m., baby B's color almost resolved deemed stable according to this is like according to physician notes so overnight baby b was noted to have a distended abdomen x-rays show cleared lungs lucy co-signed for baby b's medications the hospital handover sheet for baby b was later found during a search at lucy's home so i don't like why would she have that at her home yeah pretty sure that violates some hipaa stuff but i guess that's the least of the problems yeah i don't know what the what it's called in the uk the hipaa type thing but yeah surely that's not a um compliant yeah yeah suitable thing to have at your home um lucy searched again for the parents of babies a and b on facebook on june 10th at 11 30 p.m so the next victim is baby c a male child this child had a previous history of necrotizing Entercolitis, which is a common ailment in premature babies that affects their gut. She worked another night shift on June 13th, 14th, 2015, and she was assigned to a baby in another room. And a supervisor found Lucy beside Baby C's bed and told her to go back to her own patient. So in the following hours, Baby C collapsed and died. And physician notes show swollen vocal folds during intubation. X-rays show positive air in gut. And the baby also had pneumonia. Prosecutors have alleged that the air was injected into baby C's gut. Just as kind of a like a note. So that that whole time period, it was from the 8th to the 15th of June. Um, and basically that's three babies that oh, eight, sorry, eighth to the thirteenth. Yeah. 8th to the 13th of June. So that's three babies during that time that had like a week, basically. Yeah. And I, like that, I don't even know how many, sh- I'm assuming if she worked overnight shifts, she probably was doing, you know, three or four shifts a week. So that's almost probably every shift that she worked on this happened. Yeah. Um, the next victim is a female child, baby D. The baby collapsed soon after birth and was moved to the NICU. Lucy was working night shift again on June 21st, 22nd, 2015, and the baby died during her shift. Prosecutors again allege the air was injected into baby D. On June 25th, 2015, Lucy searched again for initial baby A and B's parents on Facebook. So this is the third time that she's done that. The next victims are twins again. So this would be baby E and F. They are twin male boys. Lucy worked night shift August 3rd to the 4th, 2015, and she was assigned to baby E. The baby's mother walked into the room. She found baby E in distress, bleeding from the mouth. Lucy told the mother that she would call for a physician consult, and she asked the mother to leave the room. Lucy wrote a note after this saying that the mother had asked for the physician consult. So overnight, baby E collapsed and died. And prosecutors alleged that the same thing, that air was injected into baby E. Um, another night shift for Lucy was on August 4th to 5th, 2015. She was baby's baby F, so this is the other twin, assigned nurse. Lucy hanged a bag of TPN, which is um, an IV feeding supplement for the baby. Um, the baby collapsed and blood tests showed high levels of synthetic insulin in his system. And this baby thankfully recovered. Prosecutors have alleged that the insulin was injected into baby F's TPN bag. On August 6th, 2015, Lucy again searched for baby A and B's parents on Facebook. Lucy did another night shift September 5th through the 6th, 2015, and she was caring for baby G at this point, a girl that was born very premature. 
During her shift, baby G collapsed three times. Lucy fed the baby and the baby projectile vomited. Baby was transferred to another hospital where she thankfully recovered. Prosecutors have alleged that air was injected into baby E's nasogastric tube and she was fed excessive amounts of milk. Lucy was assigned to the next victim, baby H, during another night shift on September 25th, 26, 2015. Baby H collapsed during this time for unknown reasons but was successfully resuscitated. The baby was transferred to another hospital and made a full recovery. Lucy's next alleged victim was baby I. She was assigned to this baby on September 29th, 30th during a night shift. During this time, baby I collapsed. An x-ray showed excess air in the baby's gut, and this child also survived at this time. In early October 2015, Lucy searched Facebook for the parents of babies H, the twins E and F, and baby I. Lucy worked again on October 12, 13, 2015. She was not assigned to baby I, who was still in the hospital at the time, but a doctor found Lucy with the child. The baby was found to have a very low respiratory rate. No alarm was heard. Another x-ray showed excess air in the baby's gut again. Lucy was assigned to care for baby I on October 13, 14, 2015, and during this time, baby I collapsed and was successfully resuscitated. X-ray showed excess air in gut, and this baby was transferred to another hospital and seemed to be progressing. Lucy worked again on October 22nd, 23rd, 2015. Baby I had since been transferred back to the Countess of Chester NICU. Lucy was not assigned to baby I. The correct nurse found Lucy with the baby, and Lucy told her to leave. Another X-ray showed there was excess air in the baby's gut and baby I died that night. Poor baby I put up a big fight. I just can't even believe like this went on for weeks and weeks and weeks that like I don't know. I guess I feel like at this point they should have noticed that the babies once they were transferred out of the hospital got better and then the baby was transferred back and suddenly having the same problem. And I guess maybe at this stage they didn't suspect Lucy yet but you just think gosh if Lucy hadn't been working this baby probably would have been fine or you know survived anyway. And that baby was such a fighter. He was like resuscitated three times already. Um, Lucy encouraged baby I's mom to bathe her as she watched. In October 2015, Lucy sent a sympathy card to baby I's parents. She saved a photo of the card to her phone. That annoys me. Yeah. The next victim was baby J. This is a female child. She had been born premature with a necrotic bowel. The baby had surgery and was doing well and was expected to be discharged from the hospital shortly. Lucy worked a night shift on November 26th, 27th. She was not assigned to baby J. This baby had been placed in a room for children with lower needs. At 4.40 a.m., baby J was found to have pale mottled skin. 5 a.m., baby J moved to higher needs room after her oxygen levels dropped. At 6.56 a.m., baby J had low O2 and signs of seizure. Lucy and another nurse attended attended the resuscitation with a physician. At 7.20 a.m., Lucy gave the baby glucose. At 10.24 a.m., baby J collapsed. Doctors looked for infection and thought it was likely that her airway had been obstructed. The child was transferred to another hospital and recovered. On December 17, 2015, Lucy searched Facebook for the parents of baby J. On December 25th, Christmas 2015, Lucy searched Facebook for the parents of twins E and F. Next victim, baby K is a female. It's insane how many babies this is when you read it out like this. You're like, oh yeah, it was however many charges, which sounds like a lot, but when you read it like this, it's just like, wow. Yeah. 
Next victim is Baby K, a female. Lucy was working night shift in early 2016, and she was not assigned to Baby K. A physician found Lucy at Baby K's bedside watching. The baby's oxygen levels were low, but no alarm was sounding. The baby's endotracheal tube was found to be dislodged. Lucy told the doctor that Baby K had just started deteriorating. At 7.30 a.m., Lucy yelled for help with Baby K. The ET tube was again dislodged. The baby was transferred to a different hospital, but she ended up still passing away on February 20th, 2016. So during the late winter, early spring of 2016 in the U.K., Lucy was moved to day shifts. Hospital officials were concerned about the excessive amounts of unexplained deaths and collapses on her night shifts. So Lucy's next victims were babies L and M. These children were twin boys. On the 9th of April 2016, baby L's condition, which had been good up until this point, deteriorated. He had a TPM bag running and he was found to be hypoglycemic. Testing found abnormally high insulin levels, but this child did thankfully recover. Prosecutors have since alleged that insulin was injected into his TPN bag. On the same day, baby M collapsed at the same time that baby L did. This child also recovered. At 3.30 p.m. on that day, IV fluids and antibiotics were administered to baby M. At 3.45 p.m., baby M collapsed again and was found with mottled skin. The baby recovered after prolonged resuscitation, and they suspected that there was an air embolus. Later scans did show that this baby now had brain damage. Prosecutors allege that Lucy caused an air embolus or airway obstruction in baby M. They also allege that the insulin poisoning and the obstruction is a pattern seen with the other twin boys, babies E and F. The next victim is baby N, a male. This child was born with mild hemophilia. Lucy texted a friend about this case at the time. She said that she'd been researching and the baby had, quote, a 50-50 chance. Baby N was found later to have a mild version of the disease, which typically didn't cause spontaneous bleeding or death. That The mild version doesn't. Obviously, hemophilia is where you bleed, I guess, very easily and spontaneously, but he had a mild version of the of that one. Yeah. Lucy was working on the 3rd of June 2016. She wasn't assigned to baby N, but as soon as baby N's nurse left for a break, the baby started screaming for approximately 30 minutes. His condition deteriorated, but he quickly recovered. The physician noted that screaming was not something he'd seen before in a neonate. So I guess this was very unusual behavior for the baby. Prosecutors now allege that Lucy caused another air embolus or a traumatic injury. On June 15, 2016 at 8am, baby N's oxygen levels fell to 48%. The physician notes say that there was bleeding and swelling in the airway during intubation attempts. Later in her shift on this day, Lucy noted that baby N vomited one mil of blood, but she didn't tell any of the doctors or nurses about this. At 2.56pm, baby N collapsed again. The physician notes again, noted bleeding and swelling in the airway during the intubation and he was intubated by a specialist team and later recovered. So the next victims are babies O and P. They are two of three triplet boys. On June 23rd, 2016, Lucy was the assigned nurse for these babies who were doing pretty well. Um, another nurse suggested that baby O looked unwell and suggested moving him to the higher needs room, but Lucy disagreed. She went on a break and came back at 2.39 p.m. At 2.45 p.m., Lucy was alone with baby O. The baby collapsed and was resuscitated. That same day, Lucy recorded a nursing observation that states she was observing baby O at 2.30 p.m. when swipe card data showed that she wasn't actually in the unit. She was still on her break. At 3.49 p.m., Lucy called for help because baby O had low oxygen levels and she called again for help at 4.15 p.m. At 5.47 p.m., baby O died. 
At 6 p.m., Lucy fed baby P. Previous feedings had been signed off by Lucy and another nurse. This feeding, though, was only signed off by Lucy. That evening, the physician ordered an exam of baby P due to the unusual circumstances surrounding baby O's death. They did an x-ray, and by 8 p.m., that x-ray showed that baby P had an excess of air in the gut. At 8.24 p.m., Lucy recorded nursing notes for another patient. They conducted an autopsy on baby O and found that he had significant trauma to his liver. Prosecutors now allege that Lucy caused a traumatic injury to baby O's liver and an air embolus. They also allege that Lucy interfered with baby P as she was leaving the shift to draw away attention from the circumstances of baby O's death. The following day, so this is what I mean, this is just daily, daily occurrence. The following day was 24th of June, 2016. Baby P was noted as, quote, doing well overnight. Lucy started her shift and was assigned to baby P. At 9.35 a.m., baby P was found with a distended abdomen and mottled skin. At 9.50 a.m., baby P collapsed and was resuscitated. At 11.30 a.m., baby P collapsed again. A decision was made to transfer the baby to another hospital. That didn't get that chance, though. They conducted an X-ray on the baby at 11.47 a.m. and found that he had a punctured lung. The transport team arrived at 3 p.m. to take the baby to the other hospital, but they didn't get a chance because he died at 4 p.m. That night, Lucy spent time with the parents of babies O and P. She took photos of the babies together in a cot. Prosecutors now allege that Lucy injected air into baby P's nasogastric tube. So the final victim is baby Q, again, a male child. She did have a lot more male victims, it seems. I wonder if that is interesting or if it was just circumstance. Yeah. Um, But June 25th, 2016, she was assigned as the nurse for baby Q. 9 a.m. was the feeding time for this baby. Lucy was in the room with baby Q and another nurse was also there. The other nurse had her back to Lucy and was caring for another patient. Lucy made a partial entry in baby Q's medical chart. There was no milk noted though, even though this was the feeding time. Lucy then asked the other nurse to watch baby Q while she checked on another baby in another room and she left. Soon after 9am, baby Q's heart and respiratory rates increased and his condition deteriorated. He vomited large amounts of air and clear liquid but was only given small amounts of milk for feeds. By 11.12am though, the baby had apparently stabilised according to medical notes and that night baby Q was transferred to another hospital. After this shift, Lucy texted a doctor from the NICU asking if she could, should be concerned about questions that were being asked this day. So I guess she kind of knew at this point that her racket was up maybe. But yeah. during a search of Lucy's house later, they did find a hospital handover sheet for this shift and baby Q's information. Prosecutors now allege that Lucy let be injected air and saline into baby Q's nasogastric tube. After the baby Q incident, Lucy worked three more shifts in the NICU before she was transferred to clerical duties. So that's kind of the timeline and alleged, um, I guess, incidents that she was involved in. I know it's a lot. We'll put it on the blog if you want to go back and kind of read it and look at the dates and because it's a lot to take in over a small period of time. It was also very calculated, a lot of the shit she did, because at one point she was using other babies to distract from other babies. Yeah. And even like she, it seemed like she almost had specific targets because she'd pick these babies that she wasn't even assigned to. Like you think if it was a real crime of opportunity, she would just, you know, maybe she picked the weakest babies. I don't know. But she seemed to have specific babies that she targeted for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the basis of the trial and what they're, I guess, presenting. We have learned of a few different things since the trial started that Lucy is alleged to have done. One of 
the mother of the alleged victims said that she had actually walked in on Lucy trying to kill her baby. Lucy told the mother, trust me, I'm a nurse. Um, it's also been revealed that Lucy had to be told more than once to not go into a room where the parents of one of the babies she's accused of murdering were grieving. We're going to bring you some distressing details now from the trial of the nurse Lucy Letby, who's accused of murdering seven babies and attempting to murder ten others. Today the court heard from a mother of twin boys who witnessed one of her babies die. She told them she had trusted Letby completely because she was an authority who knew better than her. Well, our reporter, Bradley Harris, was in court today. Bradley, good to see you this evening. Can you take us through what you heard? Hi, Tessa. Yeah, well, today the prosecution have been giving evidence uh, about two twin boys. We're not allowed to identify them for legal reasons, so they were referred to as Child E and F. And now the parents of these children have been giving evidence in this trial. In court, the mother confirmed the twins were in good condition when she was asked about the state of the birth. We also learned how the twins had been born prematurely, with Lucy Letby being the designated nurse for both boys. The court heard about one particular night when the twins' mother, who was also an inpatient on the postnatal ward, decided to visit her two sons in the neonatal unit. It was then when Childie's mother told jurors that she could hear her son crying as she walked into the room. She said, it was nothing like I've heard before. I walked over to the incubator to see he had blood coming out of his mouth. I was panicking because I felt like there was something wrong. Well, in court today, the mum described child ease crying, saying it was a sound that shouldn't have come from a tiny baby. I can't explain what the sound was. It was horrendous. Um, Bradley, what were the defending arguments in court? Well, Benjamin Myers KC, who's defending Lucy Letby, suggested Childie's mother was confused about the timing of the incidents and that when she spoke to the midwife after the alleged attack, she didn't describe her baby's crying in the same way. In court, the mother responded saying, I disagree. I knew there was something very wrong. Mr Mize went on saying, I'm not going to suggest that Child E was not upset when you went down. I'm going to suggest he was not as upset to the degree you described. It was not as bad as that. She replied, it was horrendous. There's also some post-it notes and there's actually photos of these. I'll put them on the blog. It's in Lucy's handwriting and this is allegedly what she wrote. It said, there are no words. I'm an awful person. I pay every day for that. No hope. I can't breathe. I can't focus. I'll never have children or marry. I'll never know what it's like to have a family. Kill myself right now. Overwhelming fear. I haven't done anything wrong. Police investigation. Forget. Slander. Discrimination. Victimization. Despair. Panic. Fear. Lost. Hate. Hate myself so much. All getting too much. Everything taking over my life. I feel very alone and scared. What does the future hold? How can I get through it? How will things ever be like they were? They won't. I don't deserve to live. And then in capitals, I did this. Why me? I killed them on purpose because I'm not good enough to care for them and I am a horrible and evil person. I don't deserve mum and dad. This world is better off without me. And then she finishes in capitals. I am evil. I did this. There are some other notes that they found. One said, why, how has this happened? What process has led to this current situation? What allegations have been made and by who? Do they have written evidence to support their comments? And then I haven't done anything wrong and they have no evidence. So why have I had to hide away? Which kind of is in 
um, contrast to the first post-it note. Yeah, she seems to go back and forth as, why me? And I did this, I'm a piece of shit. Yeah. All right. So there's also, we've learned that one night after she attempted to murder one of the babies in August 2015, she went salsa dancing. The baby was Child F, who we mentioned earlier. Um, And then she basically texted a colleague and she said, something's not right. He's a worry. And then later on that night, she texted a friend saying, are you going to salsa tonight? And then Lucy wrote, I need to try and find some post-night's energy. So like, you know, I think this is just kind of um, presented as a way to show that she really had no remorse. She was thinking about going salsa dancing when these all these babies are dying. Yeah, um, and it's not like she was um, clinically insane. Like yeah. She was just like, oh, I'm going out salsa dancing, bye. And then there's a text that she sent to after salsa dancing and she said, I feel better now I've been out, like, you know, out on the town and having a night out. So, Yeah, it's just, so stressful killing all those babies all day. Yeah, like. I just need to go salsa dancing. Um, so some of the parents of the victims have been giving evidence at the trial. Child E was a baby who passed away in Lucy's care and her, his mother gave evidence at the trial. She said, I could hear my son crying. I walked over to the incubator to see he had blood coming out of his mouth. I was panicking. I felt like there was something wrong. And Child E's mother said the crying was a sound that shouldn't have come from a tiny baby. She said, I can't explain what the sound was. It was horrendous. So as of December 2022, as we mentioned, Lucy's trial is still ongoing. It will probably be ongoing for a long time. We've also learned recently that Lucy allegedly tried to kill a baby that was about to celebrate its 100-day birthday. She also made a celebratory birthday sign for this baby. I believe this baby was child G. It had been born prematurely by about 16 weeks and weighed in at one pound when it was born. Um, the baby was found to projectile vomit and had bleeding in her trachea. She was resuscitated in the intensive care unit and that at, in the trial they heard that Lucy may have purposely overfed the baby both milk and air, which has now led to irreversible brain damage. At the trial we learned that the baby was only about as big as the human hand and was the youngest and smallest baby associated with Lucy's case and her parents have now said that she has quadriplegia cerebral palsy, which she obviously didn't have before Lucy cared for her. So the most recent update at the time of recording is that the trial has now been adjourned to the jurors having COVID. This has apparently so far happened four times, twice in the last week alone, um, up to its ninth week. It's going to go for six weeks. So we'll have lots of updates. I'll put them on the blog. And once the trial is finished and once there's an outcome, we'll probably do another episode or at least an update in one of the episodes about it. Mm-hmm. Just as some kind of interesting stats I found related to this, it actually happens relatively frequently that healthcare professionals do either murder or cause the death of their patients. I found a study that's called Serial Murder by Healthcare Professionals, and it says prosecutions were reported from 20 countries with 40% taking place in the U.S., Nursing personnel, which is Lucy, comprised 86% of the healthcare providers prosecuted, physicians 12% and 2% were allied health professionals. Injection was the main method used by healthcare killers, followed by suffocation, poisoning and tampering with equipment. So that is it essentially for the kind of bones of the Lucy Letby case. Um, as I said, we'll update with when things go on. I feel like this is probably going to drag on. It will be mid next year before anything really happens, I assume. So we will keep you posted with all of that. Yeah, we'll post anything on our Instagram too. So make sure you follow us there. Yes, definitely. Um, 
So it's only been a few hours, I guess, really, essentially, since our Moscow, Idaho episode aired. And there was an update, of course, right before it, I think right before we released it, it was released after we joked in the episode that probably nothing was going to happen. Yeah. Um, It's still kind of nothing, but hopefully it will lead to something. But basically police have released um, information about a vehicle that they believe was in the area at the time of the murders. I'll just read the press release word for word so you know exactly what it said. It said detectives are interested in speaking with the occupant or occupants of a white 2011-2013 Hyundai Elantra with an unknown license plate. Tips and leads have led investigators to look for additional information about a vehicle in the immediate area of the King Street residence, which is where the murder happened, during the early morning hours of November 13. Investigators believe the occupant or occupants of this vehicle may have critical information to share regarding the case. If you know of or own a vehicle matching the description or know of anyone who may have been driving this vehicle on the days preceding or the day of the murders, please forward that information to the tip line. They've included some photos of a Hyundai Elantra. It's not the Hyundai Elantra, um, just of kind of a stock photo of the car. Um, I know a lot of people have asked where these photos have come from after basically a month. Um, I know there are some rumors that, well, it's not really a rumor, just on the <laughs> night of the murder, the rumor is that the car, anyway, I'll, I'll get ahead of myself so I won't confuse you, but on the night of the murders, police attended another call near the Moscow murder scene. It was for, I think, kids who were drunk in a field. Mm-hmm. So the police officer had body cam footage and in that body cam footage kind of near the King Road residence, you can you can see a white car. So people have speculated that that is the car that they are looking for. To me, the car doesn't look like a Hyundai Elantra. A lot of people have messaged and said it's a whole bunch of different other models and makes. Um, I guess like, you know, it's, it was 3 a.m. in the body cam footage. It's dark. It's blurry. It could be. Um I'm still not 100% sure that's where they've gotten this information from, though. They probably also have other street cameras, too. Like, maybe, sure, you could see it in the distance of the body camera footage, but then maybe there's, like, street cameras, business cameras that then they looked at to kind of narrow down and see what car it was better. Yeah, and I know it's probably worth mentioning that since this information about the car has come out, everyone's gone a bit wild. (laughs) (laughs) They've been looking. There's someone, Maddie's friend, who apparently has a white Hyundai Elantra. I feel like it's a pretty common car, like – it's yeah. nondescript. There's nothing amazing about it. It's probably it's like not a, a good super- budget. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's not a super expensive car. So I feel like there's probably quite a lot of them. You don't want to have that car in Moscow right now. It's the, the blue jacket of Delphi. <laughs> <laughs> there is one. Do you want me to read out about that thing that we were talking about with the welfare check? Because it's all on the police records. I figure because it's interesting, I think. Okay, and I know that we've said we don't really like to perpetuate rumour. Um, this kind of goes against that, but it is backed well, up by police reports. It doesn't have reports. anyone's names or anything. No, no either, names, so. um, and it is backed up by police report, which we've shared on the Instagram as well. I'll just read it out. Someone made a post online. Um, it says, don't know if I should post this. I'm originally from Moscow. Most of my family still lives there. Yesterday, someone I know that still lives there called me and told me they'd spoken with police. Long story short, he works with a guy who had for months been wearing a hunting knife to work on his belt, and when he was asked not to bring it to work anymore, the guy made a big deal about it, refused, and continued to wear it to work. But after the murders, he no longer wore the knife to work. 
When asked by co-workers where the knife was and when asked to produce it, he refused and threatened to sue for harassment. I feel like that is maybe a little bit unbelievable. Are the co-workers really going to be asking, where's your knife? Let us see the knife. But maybe. Um, I'd just be like happy it was gone. Yeah. In addition, this person was known for being punctual and not missing work, would even come in on days not scheduled. But the day and the week after the murders, he was a no-call, no-show to work. Lastly, the night of the murders, he was in the vicinity of the food truck at the same time the victims were. The person I know said the person in question has given off weird vibes. Anyway, so it just goes into that this guy's a bit weird. The welfare check is on there. This is all public information. It says incident address is the 1500 block of Levick Street. Um, and it was, I think, I believe the welfare was welfare check was called in on Monday, which I think was the 19th off the top of my head if I've got that right. So a few days after the murder, like the next week. Um, and it says, would like a welfare check done on an employee who hasn't shown up to work since Monday. She, who I'm assuming is the person who made the welfare call, has mm-hmm. called and text with no response back, no report. So one kind of interesting thing that makes this maybe a little bit more interesting and maybe related, we don't know, but when you Google Street View that address, there is a white Hyundai parked out the front. Some people, I believe, think it's a Sonata, not an Elantra. Um, it's hard to say because they're similar. It does look very similar to the car in the stock footage. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like it's similar enough that it could be a possibility unless they absolutely 100% know it is an Elantra. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of the main update that's happened. One also other interesting tidbit that's since come out since the episode is that there are reports that the first floor door, which is the floor that the two surviving roommates lived on, was wide open at 8.30 in the morning as seen by a neighbour. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what significance that has. Um I don't know. It's just kind of an interesting thing, which maybe means maybe the girls were awake by 8.30. Maybe someone had left out that door by 8.30. I don't know. There's a few, I guess, possibilities as to why that might be significant and maybe a piece in the timeline. It made me think. I wanted to say this in the episode we recorded, but I forgot. Sometimes I wonder if when people say the first floor, they mean the main floor because I know like that's technically the second floor, but my house growing up had a basement the main floor and then the top floor but I would still call the main floor which is technically the second floor the first floor and I'd call the bottom floor like the basement so I wonder if other people think like that or this there's actually like because I've heard if, like there was a few rumors about it and I know someone actually asked Brian Anton on a live yesterday or something if he could confirm it and he said he couldn't but there's been an article that's come out today by Alexis your friend Alexis mm. <laughs> um, and the title is Idaho murders slain university students neighbor says front door left wide open after the attacks and just a little you know snippet it says the neighbor told Fox News this week that the front door which opens to the level where two other housemates were unharmed was wide open around eight 30 on november 13 yeah so it seems like the it seems like they've maybe then. confirmed it was but yeah, I, I get what you're saying like depending on the level that you're looking at that house it's all these weird levels um what you might partake is the first floor may not have been but it sounds like this might have been the actual real first floor yeah just weird because the way the house is set up i feel like i wouldn't consider i don't know i'd have to look at it again i wouldn't consider the front door to be on the bottom floor I don't know (laughs) it's a very confusing house I don't really 
know they haven't you know elaborated on what significance that may be I, I feel like those two reasons that I mentioned are probably it either they were awake and had left and accidentally left the door open or the murderer possibly went out that door yeah it just shows that the house wasn't very secure yeah 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 that's true as well so we did have a message after the episode aired and it was basically from someone saying that we shouldn't have done the episode because there's not enough information to talk about. And I had a feeling that a few people might wonder why we didn't mention specific people by name. I know there's a whole bunch of alleged suspects um, that people online have been digging into their lives. We just don't think it's fair or right to blast these people when none of them have been named a suspect. There isn't a single suspect in the case. I think it's pretty irresponsible with a platform not saying like we have the biggest platform in the world but with a platform like ours that has a decent following and just even online in general I think it's pretty gross to put people's names and addresses and things about them online when really we don't even know if they're connected to the case like just like to not to name a few people but like any of their ex-boyfriends, like the food truck guy and any other random guys who might have spoken to them. There's so many people's names who are just out there and information about them. And it's just sad to think that, not saying that he's not involved either, but like imagine you're just happen to be getting food at this food truck drunk after a fun night out and you happen to be there at the same time as Maddie and Kaylee. They go home, get murdered. You had you just happened to be at the food truck the same time as them on video, and now you have all these random people on the internet trying to find out shit about you and posting your picture and your name and like your parents' names. And just thinking about that is so scary. And I really wish people wouldn't do that. It's one thing to do with like your friends in private. Like me and you will definitely talk to each other privately and be like, "Oh, did you see this person and what this yeah. person posted?" But we're not like putting it on blast on our Instagram and stuff like that. And I feel like this case is so. Um, I don't even know what the word is. There's so many people who are invested in this case. It does remind me of the Gabby Petito case. I know there are a lot of people who have a ton of knowledge about this case and know about, you know, a lot of lot about the people. But even just as an example, one of the girls in our Facebook group was in another group discussing this case and she disagreed with something that someone said. That person has started calling her, like the person she disagreed with has started calling her. She's got a business page, has been on her business page. Like I'm not even lying. I think this person called her 60 times sort mm-hmm. her out this is just people disagreeing on a on a on a facebook group like there are a lot of people that are very very passionate and very invested in this case and i just feel like it's very dangerous to blast people when no one has been named a suspect and I, you know when the time comes whoever is named a suspect we will do an episode we will you know look into their lives all that type of stuff um but at this moment there there's no one there's no one official who we can discuss i feel like passionate is a nice word because i would call that absolutely unhinged (laughs) maniac behavior imagine as an adult thinking that's acceptable behavior it's disgusting it reminds me of early delphi days when we all had to live in fear of being doxxed because people (laughs) would like really try to find out stuff about you and try to find out your job and call your job just because you were talking about a case online it's just insane so and I feel like in our episode to our, our main episode for this, the people that we did speak about are people who have been named in media articles and by the families. Like, for example, Jack, Kaylee's on-again, off-again boyfriend, we mentioned him by name because he's out there in the media. There's a whole bunch of other people who aren't. 
um, and people have just, you know, looked in, probably doxxed, I'm assuming. So, you know, if you're wondering why the episode, you know, why we didn't mention those people in the episode, that's why. And just kind of also like as an interesting add-on to this, ever since the car information was released yesterday, I've seen so many posts online about when are you going to apologize to Jack? You know, like all these people who are under suspicion, if the driver of the car does turn out to be someone random, for example, like I feel like a lot of people maybe have realized now that they need to take a step back and just And I do feel like it's and- it's probably none of those people. Yeah. I don't know why. I just have a feeling, but. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. I, at this stage, nothing would surprise me. Um, yeah. I still don't really. Especially now with this car info, I still don't really have a strong sense of who did it. Um, I think what I said in the episode still stands. I still think it was probably a male and someone who knew of them at least or had seen some of them. Yeah, I agree. I don't think this was just a random where he tried to break into a house and was lucky to find them all there. I think it was, um, yeah, somehow slightly planned. Yeah, I agree. But so, yeah, that's why we're not – being total unhinged monsters like the rest of the internet and like even you know and I feel like I'm carrying on about this now but even like there's been an arrest in Moscow like recently of a guy and when he turned up he had a bandaged hand and he's been um, I think charged and arrested for murder before but there's an article about this guy we're not saying he's connected to the case he may end up being it's there's speculation online we don't know but there's a there's a media article about his arrest and his charges that we posted today so when there's things like that we will share them but we're not going to share, hey, look what I found on Facebook and, you know, things like that. Just, like, for everyone to remember, this case isn't Delphi-level crazy yet, but it's definitely kind of getting there and could be. But remember what may have happened with Delphi is they lost the tip on the guy who did it. And I feel like that was partially because of how fucking crazy everyone online was sending in tips, sending in tips that didn't even really relate to anything, sending in multiple tips. So like just acting crazy like this, it can affect the case. I was even chatting with someone on our Instagram yesterday and they said, because all the Moscow police department logs are online and they said they were going through them and they're like, what is going on in that town? Police were called because someone was digging a hole. (laughs) Yeah. Like Like, I get the town is on edge. I would be too if I lived there, but it's just this kind of hysteria based on essentially nothing. Like the police have given us nothing to base it on. It's just, yeah, it's an interesting um, study, I guess, in human behavior when something like this happens. Yeah, it's like it's one thing if you live there and you see something mm-hmm. weird, like definitely call on the tip. But I remember with Delphi when I talked to ISP once, they were like people just like you don't, you don't want to ever deter people from giving tips. But sometimes it'd be like someone who lives states away in New York who saw a picture of a guy on their friend's sister's Facebook who has a blue jacket and kind of looks like bridge guy and he's like a little weird. So they call that in as like a tip and it's like that probably is 99.9% not connected. Like that is not a good tip. So so yeah, just like be smart people. Let's go. <laughs> so anyway, I think I just wanted to clear that up. We've put it in the notes as well while we did it the episode the way that we did, so um, you know, I feel like that was the right thing for us to do for the timing when it was released. Yeah, and this is I don't know if there'll be an update by the time this comes out, but if there is an update, I'll put in a clip here and we'll talk about 
whatever updates in the next episode, which will be our update episode. Yeah. And we have said too that if there is a really big update, like if someone is arrested, we will be ready. We'll do a quick update episode on the information that we have once it happens. Yeah. we'll, We'll do something once something big happens. Yeah. New this morning, reports are surfacing of a white Hyundai Elantra speeding by a gas station on the night four University of Idaho students were murdered. Police in Moscow looking to speak with the driver of that car. As more time passes without an arrest, we are learning new details about the morning police received a call about the murders. Senior national correspondent Brian Enton is in Moscow, Idaho. Police are now talking more about what the scene was like when they first arrived after the murders. For the first time, we're also talking to the attorney representing uh, Kaylee Gonzalez's family, and he's talking more about the victim's family relationship with the police. It is eerily quiet at the University of Idaho. With graduation over and most finals moved online, there are almost no students on campus. One month after the brutal murder of four students and their families are anxious for any information. Victim Kaylee Gonzalez's parents met with the investigators just yesterday, according to their attorney. Have you or the the family received any new updates uh, on the investigation? Well, part of our delay was we met with the investigators yesterday. The kind of the theme of the meeting was two things, was accountability um, and communication. Attorney Shannon Gray says the family wants a more consistent stream of information from police. He says most of their questions about the investigation have still gone unanswered, but they are hopeful police are doing the right things. New Tuesday, Moscow police released a video with new information about what happened soon after they got the initial call. I got called at home. It was on a Sunday afternoon and uh, it took me a second. I, I really had to think about what I had just heard. Moscow Police Captain Roger Lanier says it was a somber scene when police arrived. It was incredibly hard for the community, but it was also really, really hard on our officers, some of whom were very young, and that was uh, the first real major crime scene that they had encountered. So uh, emotionally, it was a very, very draining day. Police maintain they have information they are not releasing, but they say they still have no suspect and continue to ask people with information on a white Hyundai Elantra seen near the house the morning of the murders to contact investigators. One question that I've been asked over and over again is why no reward? I mean, in other cases, we'll see a big reward. It makes people come out and, and talk. Why no reward here? We've been so successful and really can thank the community and the public for all the tips they are providing us. A reward maybe is an option down the road, but we have such good information from the public as we are right now. We're working with that first. Police also concerned uh, about all the rumors on social media. They say that those rumors are bogging down the investigation, leading to tips that really have nothing to do with anything. Uh, They even say there's people from social media who have reached out to individuals involved in the case, and there have even been death threats. All right. Well, now that we went on our rant, I love ha- I love having like a good rant because I like really hold all that in, and I'm like, I just wish I had an outlet to like get all this out there, and I do. I wonder if anyone's still listening. <laughs> I feel like people like when we rant because it shows more of like our personalities. I feel like a lot of people agree with us. Yeah, yeah, and even like when we ask questions, like we get a lot of agreeable people but I and you know and I know that not everyone is going to agree and that's fine it makes for healthy discussion but I feel like it's good to tell our side of the story sometimes yeah and I'm not really trying to act like I'm above anyone I'm definitely above some people but like last <laughs> night I was literally sending you screenshots of me just like on Moscow Google Street view looking for Hyundai Elantras so like I do this shit too I'm just not gonna like post about it to to the masses and rile everyone up <laughs> All right, so we'll end this there. Um, 
everything like always will be on our blog truecrimesocietyblog.com always posting updates on our instagram true crime society you can follow our personal accounts mine is steph some underscore olivia's is tcs olivia and please keep sharing the podcast it's great when you guys share them to like your instagram stories or your facebook because then maybe your friends will see and want to check it out um leave us like a rating a review like a nice end of year review we'd love that and oh check out our sponsors they'll all be in the episode notes um, if you ever forget the codes or anything, just like send us a message. We'll be happy to send them to you. And I think that's it. Anything else? That's it, I think. All right. So be safe out there, everyone. Thanks for listening. Peace out. Yeah.